say, well, you know, and maybe this person claims to be Christian, and they say, well, that's your interpretation. You know, maybe they don't think that salvation is all by grace. Uh, maybe they don't believe that God punishes sin, and so they're not really convinced about the cross. Whatever it is, there's something about these basic truths which they say, well, actually, that's just your reading of the Bible. I have a different one. I had this once. I was invited to speak at a conference of um, IVF specialists. So these were uh, doctors, nurses involved in uh, treating people with uh, infertility. And I was asked along to give a Christian perspective on IVF, which was just a wonderful opportunity because these specialists often encounter people who ask for a much more difficult path through IVF because they they don't want to have embryos thrown away and things like that. And so I had this great chance to explain that for Christians, we value human life. That we value life even before it leaves the womb. That we welcome people um, from, from their beginning. And I, I could unpack that a little bit. Uh, the problem was that I had a speaker who was after me, who was supposedly Christian as well, and he got up and his, his in opening statement as well. Russell just said that Christians believe, but we've got, I really wish he'd said, some Christians believe. And he proceeded to put forward a very different view of Christians and how we approach um, the beginning of life. Apparently, it was all just my interpretation. Or was it? So let's look at this, the, the basic truth about the Bible this morning, how we can read it. We're going to have those three headings, thinking, feeling, and then living. How about I pray and we'll get into the passage. Well, into the Bible. Heavenly Father, please help us this morning to see uh, that we can trust your word and that it's not a question of uh, countering interpretations. You speak very clearly and we can trust you to speak and we need your wisdom to keep applying that well to our life. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so let's, uh, using our three headings, think. How do we think about the Bible? I've actually got a, um, a, a sentence that I think really captures a, a good understanding of what the Bible is. Um, it's from a book called Written for Us. I'm sorry, that's a bit of a fuzzy picture. Um, but the guy there is Peter Adam. Uh, he, was a, a, he is a theologian uh, in Australia, um, really helpful guy. He was principal of um, Ridley College for a period of time. And he's written this book called Written for Us. And it's a great book, very, um, very practical and helpful theology. Here is his sentence for summarising what the Bible is. The Bible is God's words written for his people by his spirit about his son. I'll say it again. It's God's words written for his people by his spirit about his son. I'm just going to take time to unpack each of those clauses because I think as we see that and we see where that scripture says that, um, then we'll, we'll get clearer and clearer. But just an apology, I don't have one passage I'm working from this morning, so I'm throwing all the passages up on the screen. So instead of feeling the need to try and chase through the Bible and keep up with me, um, I'd really be encouraged if you just write down the, the passages and you check them later. I, I love it when people check the passages and make sure what I'm saying is actually in scripture. But this morning I've just got to cover a bit of ground, um, doing things a little bit differently. So please feel free to write down the passages and check me out later. Okay, let's pull apart that sentence. First of all, the Bible is God's words. It's not human words. 
This is not merely Paul's thoughts about God or Moses' thoughts about God. The Bible isn't a compilation of opinions. The words of the Bible come from God himself. Now, sometimes that's really explicit in the Bible. So you have those moments where it says, thus says the Lord or the Lord, Yahweh says. God speaks from a cloud to his people or there's an angel of the Lord. Or even he speaks directly to a prophet. So um, uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, uh, Peter says, For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And that moves us from saying that sometimes God speaks directly to people to saying that God speaks through people. So it's not just those particular moments that are God's words in the Bible. The whole Bible is from God. Uh, reading from 2 Timothy said it really clearly. Uh, all Scripture is God-breathed, and that's why it's useful for us, for all these different purposes. Uh, it comes directly from God. The, the Bible is God's words from His mouth, carried by His breath. But also... The Bible is written for his people. The words of the Bible are for you and me. That's a claim that also the Bible makes about itself and sometimes does it in quite surprising ways. So in 1 Corinthians 9, Paul picks up an Old Testament law about muzzling oxen and here's what he says. Is it about oxen that God is concerned? Surely he says this for us, doesn't he? Yes, this was written for us because whoever ploughs and threshes should be able to do so in the hope of sharing in the harvest. He sees this Old Testament law and says, no, that wasn't just God's word back then. It's God's word for us now. It's God's words written for us. Jesus had the same attitude in Matthew 22. Jesus quotes words in Exodus, but notice how he says it. Uh, Matthew 22, verse 31. But about the resurrection of the dead... Have you not read what God said to you? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God's words in the desert are, are, are treated as if they were spoken directly to the people that Jesus is speaking to. It wasn't just for the first Israelites. God's words continue to speak to his people, no matter what time and what place. Now, you might wonder, how is that possible? But what we've got to remember is God is a very effective communicator. He, he's able to speak to us. Even though He is an infinite God, that doesn't stop Him from revealing truth about Himself, making Himself known through human words, no matter how limited. Uh, for starters, God made our mouths. So when Moses worries about speaking to Pharaoh in Exodus 4, verse 11, uh, this is what God says, "'Who gave human beings their mouths?' Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? God made mouths. He's more than capable of communicating with us. Besides, God made the world by speaking. Speaking is his way of working in the world. He, he made heaven and earth, land and sea, all by speaking. And so no wonder we have that passage we read in Isaiah 55 where God says, look, my words, they do my work. Uh, you know, the moment you hear the rain outside, we had it last night, and you hear a bit of rain during the night, 
And then you know in the morning there's going to be this freshness in the garden. If there's been flowers sort of dwindling, they might be up and looking really cheerful because we know the rain has effects and we know that God's word does. Uh, As the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. There's just no question. The Bible is God's words written for his people, and so they're going to be effective. It's worth reading the Bible. My main goal this morning is just to convince you this is a book worth picking up and reading. Because I know it doesn't always feel like that. You, know, you pick up that passage in Numbers, there's sections, and it's just a list. And it's name after name after name. And you have that moment of just feeling like it is so dry. But the same book, Numbers, it has these amazing moments. It's got the story of Balak, who has the donkey, and he's brought to curse the people of God. And when he speaks, I mean, here's one of those verses that is just magic for, not magic, it's just really memorable for Christians. It's a great verse to have. Um, Numbers 23, verse 19. God is not human that he should lie. Not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? I mean, that's a verse worth sticking up on your wall. If God makes a promise, it happens. If God um, says something, he is not going to change his mind. That's a great Christian verse to have. And it's in the same book as all those hard-to-read lists of names and things like that. So sometimes the Bible, parts of the Bible, they're hard work, but every part of the Bible is for us. So uh, personally, as a minister of the gospel, I I have a commitment. My goal over the life of my ministry is I would like to preach through every part of the Bible, the bits that are really easy and the bits that are really hard, because I'm convinced that all of the Bible is good for us. It is worth reading. I hope you have the same commitment that over your lifetime, you'd like to look at every part of the Bible, no matter how weird and obscure, and find God's Word written for you. The question is, how can that be possible? How can a bunch of words that are old still speak today? Our society doesn't generally think that happens. Um, The classic, I've watched um, Hercules, is one of the current movies that's been released on Netflix. I decided to watch it this week. I love the story of Hercules, the original version. It's a great read. I did notice, however, there's been a bit of updating happening with the movie release. I don't know if you've had that experience with some of the uh, old stories. Um, It looked to me like Hercules was a bit more of a Jesus character. He seemed to have this whole dilemma of discovering that he was Zeus's son, God's son, and, and had a moment of even crying to heaven as if he was a Jesus thing. I don't remember that in the original Hercules. Obviously, the, the, the people who are making this movie felt it needed to be updated and adjusted. And we get that all the time, don't we? These old stories, and in the modern version, there needs to be, you know, it's um, uh, more politically correct. There needs to be more emphasis on the women characters. They have to be in the battles fighting, even though that wouldn't have been particularly historical. The, the producers want to speak to a modern audience, and so you've got to change the details. But you don't need to do that with the Bible. This is not a book that needs to be remapped to a modern era because of these next two phrases. So it's God's words written for us 
by his spirit. God's spirit was at work when the Bible was written down. So the authors were writing under the inspiration of the spirit. Uh, We heard that in 1 Peter. But the spirit is also at work when the Bible is read. So Ephesians 6 verse 17, Ephesians 6 verse 17 says, the Bible is the spirit's sword. The spirit uses the Bible to defeat Satan. Uh, Hebrews 4 says God's past words, that these words that we read in the Bible, they are living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword. They, they, they expose our hearts, they reveal the truth of what's going on in us as, they, as we encounter them. That's possible because it's the same spirit at work when the Bible was written and when we read it. Um, God is at work through his words. The words of the Bible are the tool of the spirit. And so that's why, that's why the Bible can be written in Greek and Hebrew and yet we can translate it to a different, we can translate it to an our language and read it and it's still effective. Because it's, it's not that the words are magical, it's that the message is carried by the Spirit and made effective to us. Um, it's why it's really helpful when scholars give us all that historical background to the Bible. We can learn lots of new things. But you don't need scholarship to be changed by the Bible. Uh, one of my mates, he was a teenager. Um, somebody gave him a Gideon's Bible at school. He decided to read it. That's all the Christian introduction he had. And he decided he should follow Jesus. Because the Bible is powerful. He just picked up the Bible, read it, realises this was the guy I need to follow. And so that was his journey to becoming Christian. The Bible is the tool of the Spirit. And I'll just mention, this guy is now a lecturer in, old, in um, history at a theological college. Um, he, he appreciates the, the, all the study, and the, but it's not what, you don't need it for the Bible to speak powerfully into people's lives. The Bible is God's words, written for us by His Spirit. And finally, they're about His Son. Uh, this is what really helps me when I'm struggling with parts of the Bible, they just seem so foreign. You know those lists in Numbers? Or maybe it's the violence in Judges. How do I come at this very different culture and all these battles and how do they speak to me? Well, the Bible is all written to point you to Jesus. The Bible is all written to point you to Jesus. Um, Jesus says so in Luke 24. Jesus has risen from the dead. He's appeared to his disciples. And in verse 27, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. The Bible is about Jesus. We saw it. In, uh, sorry, that's, not, that's the wrong verse there. That is just the wrong verse. should be, yeah, I've, I've lost control. It should be Luke 24. Can you get, get that one up? Oh, it's there, great. So yeah, at beginning with Moses and the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And then we saw it in John 5, um, last term, next reading. Uh, Jesus said to the Jewish leaders, you study the scriptures diligently because you think in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. 
The way in which to read the Bible is to expect it to point you to Jesus. It's a book about his son, God's son. So if you've heard me teach the Old Testament, I hope one of the things you notice is that I keep going back to Jesus. It's not a gimmick. It's not me pretending to simplify the Old Testament or put an overlay on it. I'm reading the Old Testament as a Christian. Abraham, Moses, David, Daniel, they're not just examples of how to be God's people. Their lives lead us to Jesus. Their words point us to Jesus. They tell us the gospel. Next term, we're going to look at 1 Samuel. Um, 1 Samuel preaches the gospel. It actually shows us why God's king had to suffer, why Jesus had to suffer on the cross in 1 Samuel. And so we read these things. So, so you go to these Old Testament passages and you just need to ask yourself, how is this leading me to Jesus? So the, the list's in numbers. Yeah, they are pretty dry. But this is the family tree of Jesus. This is what establishes Jesus as a real person in history and a person with a history. We, we understand what has led up to this, this person arriving. Where did his family come from? Um, the uh, violence in Judges, it shows us God's judgment. It teaches us and shows us, well, that God's really serious about sin. And when we realise that and we think, well, what, how on earth am I going to approach a God like that? We're drawn to the cross where God deals with sin violently in judgment so that you and I could be forgiven. The whole of the Bible leads us to Jesus. I'm going to push a little bit hard on this. Um, beware when people read the Bible, and especially the Old Testament, and it doesn't centre on Jesus. When the centre of their un- interpreting the Bible isn't the Gospel. You've got to be a bit cautious. A, a classic example of this is the way we understand worship. Um, so many times Christians want to know how to worship God and so what we do is we go to Exodus and Leviticus because that's where God told the Israelites how to worship and we can be tempted to take those verses and just move from temple to church and think that those verses apply to the church. But that's sort of missing out on Jesus. And when you go to Jesus, you find he says things like, his body is now the temple of God. Uh, We see in Hebrews, all these things that were in the Old Testament were a shadow of a reality that played out in heaven as Jesus entered the throne room of God. And so, they're not really directly mapping to us. They're pointing to Jesus and what he has done, and then we go to the New Testament and learn how to worship God in response to that. The Bible is about God's Son. It's about Jesus And so any part of the Bible should lead us to him. Okay, God's word written for us by his spirit about his son. That's how we want to think about the Bible. And I say that as a contrast to other approaches to scriptures. So um, Judaism would say that that their scriptures are God's word for us. But they don't have the same understanding of the spirit being at work as the Bible is written and as it's read. And they certainly wouldn't see it as leading to Jesus. Um, in Islam, I studied Islam as part of becoming a minister, I did a whole project on how they understand the Bible, their scriptures. They see the power in the original words. And so actually something they published for Christians to read said 
um, it is more useful to recite the words of the Quran in Arabic because the power is in the words themselves than actually to translate it so that they can understand it. If you want to be changed by the Quran, you're better to recite the original Arabic because they see the power is somehow built into the words. That's not what we're saying. The Bible is God's words written for us, written to be accessed by us, by his spirit. They can be translated, they can be read at a different time and place and they will still speak because they're all about his son. Okay, that's how we think. How should we feel? We should feel confident. We should feel very confident reading the Bible. Everything you need to benefit from reading the Bible, you already have. You don't actually need special historical background. You don't need to know the original languages. You don't need a special study Bible or a special devotional Bible or or you don't need a preacher. You don't need a Bible lecturer. If you know the Gospel, you can pick up the Bible and read it and it will be good for you. I'm not saying those things aren't helpful, they can help us to understand more. What I'm saying is that the Bible can speak to us. You can be very confident reading the Bible that God can work. And sometimes those other things can get in the way of us hearing what the Bible is saying. I have these moments every now and again, thankfully not recently, but I've been in past Bible studies um, where I'd ask the question, um, ask a question about the Bible passage and almost immediately people would go to the little study notes in their study Bible and I'd get all the information there. But the answer was there in the passage. All we had to do was spend some time studying the passage of Scripture and we'd actually see the answer. And I think we want that confidence. We want the confidence to know that if we get together and we discuss the Bible, we're going to learn a heap. We're going to know God better. He's going to change us. I love it when people know lots of historical background, but I'm really careful about when people say, well, you can't understand this passage unless you understand this historical background that isn't in the Bible. Something's going a little bit odd there. It might nuance my understanding, but it shouldn't totally change what the Bible is saying. I shouldn't feel less confident about reading the Bible the more I learn how to read it. Increasingly, I should think, no, this is God's word that I can pick up and read and it will speak to me. And that's the problem I have with people who talk about your interpretation and my interpretation. It's buying into this whole postmodern thing that I, as a reader, have the authority to sort of decide what the Bible says. No, the Bible speaks clearly. God speaks in the Bible, and our job is to wrestle with that and to understand it more and more. And maybe if we, we disagree about what it says, well, we need to listen well together and work hard at that. But it's not a question of I have my interpretation, you have yours, let's just leave it at that. We should be very confident that God can speak to us. And so then we live by reading it. That's, that's the way to live out this truth about the Bible. To just, if you're confident about the Bible being able to speak to you, get, get busy reading. Uh, enough of the excuses. Make time to hear from God. Good on you for coming to church. Get, get regular at coming to church. That is a great thing to hear from God. Join a home group. 
and get along with a bunch of other people and read the Bible together. Get that habit back in order of the daily Bible reading. Um, If this is how God speaks to us, we need to be listening. Uh, There's this great story, George Foreman, um, God in My Corner is his book. He was a former heavyweight boxing champion. And apparently in 1974, before he went to Africa to fight Muhammad Ali, a friend gave him a Bible to take along on his trip. He said, this friend said, George, keep this with you for good luck. And George writes, now I believe the Bible was just like a shepherd's, was, was just a shepherd's handbook because all I really knew, the only verse I knew was the Lord is my shepherd. But I was always looking for luck. So I carried the Bible with me. I had lucky pennies and good luck charms, so now I added the lucky Bible to my collection of superstitious items. After I lost the fight, I threw the Bible away. I never even opened it. I I thought the Bible didn't help me win, so why do I need it? I thought I'd get power simply from owning it. I didn't realise that I need to read it and believe what it says. The Bible is for reading. And yet I know myself, I can have, I, we, I grew up with my dad working for the Bible Society. We had so many Bibles at home, but I didn't always get around to reading it. Get reading. And especially can I encourage you and invite you to join a home group. I just want to take a moment to explain what we're doing with home groups this year, uh, this term, sorry. Um, so there are uh, two home groups running, uh, Tuesday mornings at Redland Bay, um, and Wednesday night there's a lady group at 7.30pm in Mount Cotton. But the other thing we're doing this term, we're starting up a couple of ABCs where people are getting together and reading the Bible. We call them ABCs. It's, it could be called a one-to-one because they start out with just two people, an A and a B meeting together. The A person is fairly confident just reading the Bible with somebody else. B may not be, you know, just learning how to read the Bible and they're just getting along with someone. Um, but they're looking to become an ABC. They're looking for a third person to invite along who can join them and read the Bible. And when we do that, two things can happen. Next slide. Um, maybe that little group will become... We're wanting to grow some more home groups so we can... Some of these ABCs might become new home groups. But the other way these things, groups can work is that A, the original A goes off because the B has now become confident enough they can be an A. So B becomes an A. There's the existing group. The, the a, original A leaves and starts another ABC and we can multiply the number of Bible reading groups that are happening. Now, that is a complex way of describing a very simple process of getting together and reading the Bible. Um, But if you hear me talking about ABCs, that's what I'm talking about. Uh, Just a a habit of getting together, reading the Bible, and finding more people to read the Bible with. Um, Get involved. Thanks for that. Uh, Be involved in a a group reading the Bible together. I just want to encourage you to do that. Uh, Do it personally as well. But the other thing, of course, in living out this truth, if the Bible is God's words written for us by his spirit about his son, the other way to live is actually you've got to do what it says. Um, It'd be downright arrogant for God to speak to us and we don't bother to listen. But in saying that, I've I've got to just clarify, um, because I think often when we go and read the Bible and we, we feel like we've got to get a to-do list out of my Bible reading. I've got to get a list of things that I have got to do in response to this passage. I've got to be a nicer person. I probably need to uh, be more polite to my, um, my kids or something like that. And we, we get a to-do list. It's going to make me a better Christian. Can I encourage you, before you form your to-do list in Bible reading, 
make sure you get a done list. It's done list. One of the ways to respond to what God has said is simply to hear and trust it. Believe that what God says, he will do. Because this is a book about his son. It's a, it's a book that ultimately points us to what God has done in Jesus for us. All right. That's this morning's God's word written for us by his spirit about his son. Let's encourage each other in reading the Bible. Uh, over morning tea, won't we chat about how we find it? Have it, I pray. Heavenly Father, please keep teaching us about Jesus, showing us who he is in your word. And we pray that um, we would more and more be confident just to read your Bible and to hear what you're saying. Thank you so much that you have spoken so clearly to us. In Jesus' name, amen.